0: I'm so glad you're with me today. You know, this is your next step. And I appreciate the fact that you take the time to spend time in the word, to listen, to be growing as a pastor. This is what I know. Every time you and I show up to church, every time you and I read our Bible, every time we pray, every time you turn on your next step, every time you invite someone to subscribe, what you're doing is you're inviting them towards life. You're inviting them towards the Lord of life, to the God of heaven. Today, we're looking at God, the Word, in the beginning, the Logos. See, when John opens his gospel, he says that God was real from the very beginning, that this whole world that you and I live in, it's all about God. It's his world. It's his life. And he invites us, he invites us to really experience that. Today, in your next step, we're going to look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going to look at how Jesus was the eternal Word and how that changes everything everything for us. He is real. He is God. Let that transform your life today. I'm glad you're with me. I'm Pastor Doyle. Don't go anywhere. What we know about John the Baptist is this, that he is related to Jesus, right? We know because of the story of Mary and Elizabeth and the leaping in the womb and the joy that comes from that, that they are cousins. What you and I miss is the relationship with John. Now, let me just stop for a second because I wanna remind you again what I want you to get from John. John wants you to take away not just the what Jesus did and said, but the who he was. Look in your notes, I wrote it down because I want you to get this, okay? It's really important. John's perspective on Jesus and the church are unique as the one who is closest to Jesus. While on earth, his chief concern seems to be that we know more than what Jesus did and said and realize who he was, who Jesus is. So who was Jesus to John? Jesus was more than just John's rabbi. Look at what it says in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, it says, John was standing there at the cross with the women. Why was John there at the cross with the women? I believe John was there at the cross with the women more than likely because John was the youngest of the disciples. John could have been 15, maybe younger, maybe 16. When Jesus called him out of his boat to drop his nets. Now, just from my perspective, 14, 15-year-old boy working nets with the father's business and someone gives me an opportunity to leave, I'm out of there, baby. I'm getting that. But, But John, more than likely, at the cross, it's three years later. He's still pretty young. He's not allowed in that culture to be running around without a rabbi. Without, without a mentor, without someone over him. And John, oh my gosh, I'm stuck with the women again. But Jesus looks at him at the cross and he says, you're still here with me to the end. And you're standing there and I want you to know something, John, I need you, I need you to do something extra special for me. I need you to take care of my mama. My brothers aren't here. And I'm about done with this life in this way. Watch my mother. And there's a bond between men at this level. There's a bond when a man in a hard place like that looks at another man and they ask that. It's a done deal. That's a done deal. Now, what's interesting is this. The the, the thing that the the Bible doesn't specifically say this, but this is what I believe. I'm good with it. I believe that John was Jesus' cousin. This is why. In the same way, the Bible does not say for you that John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, but it gives you the connection there, and you're like, well, that that makes sense. When you look at the other accounts of Jesus and the cross, when when you look at at Matthew, it says that standing at the foot of the cross is this group of women, Mary of Magdala is there, The, the wife of Zebedee. Is there, and then it goes on to describe these other women. And then when you when you look at at, at the other uh, gospel, it, it says that Salome, the mother of James and John, but here in John, John refers to his mother as the sister of Mary that would mean that Jesus was his cousin. It totally changes the story. It totally changes the way you relate to it because when, it, when, when, when James and John are described at different times, they are described as a fiery boys. I mean, they are something else. They're called the sons of thunder, the sons of thunder. And I read that and my first thought is, well, does that mean that Zebedee had gas? And then another part of me thinks, no, if Jesus was their older cousin, if Jesus is in his 30-ish, okay, and they are teens, then Jesus was in the house at Salome and Zebedee when they were running around and they were a thunderous herd in the house. And they've always been this day. They've always been two rambunctious brothers, full of energy, Dad had to have him on the boat just to keep him tuned down, maybe. The Bible tells us that there's this one account when Jesus is in Samaria and he's dealing with the Samaritans. And, and, and James and John run up and say, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? I mean, their first gut reaction is to do something wild like that. And you know what I see in that? I see a couple of young men that are a lot like Peter. What's Peter doing? On the night Jesus betrayed, he's whipping out his sword. He's cutting off. Their first reaction is, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. They were probably a thunderous, energetic, fiery couple of guys. Notice this. When Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's Peter, James, and John. Pete, Jim, and John. Pete, Jim, and John. You read through it again and again, it's like Pete, Jim, and John. What's, what's, what's the deal? Why, why, why are these guys so special? It says when they get to Jerusalem, Jesus looks at Peter and John and he says, I have a special assignment for you. Would you do me a favor? Would you two Go get the donkey, a colt. They ask you who sent you. Just say the master does. And John was a part of that. You realize that Peter is the only one listed among the disciples as being married. It says that Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and so Jesus went to her house and healed her so she could get up and make dinner. Let's not even discuss the sexism in that, but (laughs) it tells us a truth about the relationship. Peter, more than likely, is the eldest disciple. He's the only one that's married. The rest of these guys are high school age, and more than likely, John is the youngest. And the night that Jesus had communion with them. John is leaning up against Jesus. He's like a, just leaning on him, cousin Jesus. When John looked at Jesus, he saw a man through the eyes of a a teenage boy who's wanting to be a man, who's, who's longing to have a life of meaning and purpose And in the same way, if you had an older cousin in your life or or maybe an older brother or an, an older sister that looked at you and they threw you the keys when you were 16 and said, come on, let's go for a drive, you're driving. And you suddenly, you felt all this respect, all this love, all this trust. That's John. And on the cross, he looks down at Jesus and he says, okay, son, The ride's not over, but I need you to watch my mom now. History of the Christian church, the tradition is, is that John watched after Jesus' mom. Later on, the church in Jerusalem is persecuted. It's scattered across the earth. We have that historical information. Vespasian comes, plows down the city because a false messiah by the name of Bar Kokhba So the Christians have to leave Jerusalem. More than likely, John makes his way to Ephesus. Ephesus becomes the center of the church's sending unit. It's it's where they keep meeting and sending people out because Jerusalem is, it's still part of us. There's still some people there, but it's not the the sending church, the powerful church getting the word out. And John is teaching there. And everybody already has Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John sees the church growing Paul is now gone Peter is now gone he's aging and he looks at the church and he and he sees what's going on in the church and he becomes concerned he's the last apostle the last disciple he knows Jesus so well the church is skewing two ways one way the church is skewing is out here towards grace and people have been focusing so much on God's grace and God's love that they're saying, God's grace is so good, you don't even have to clean up your life. You don't have to, to get rid of the sin. And, and that becomes a concern. And what John is writing to is he's, he's writing to a people and he says, I want you to know something. Jesus loves you. Love is all about Jesus, but you must understand something. Jesus came to cleanse us of our sin, to redeem us out of the pit and give us a new life. And it's in relating to him that you can have freedom from sin. Wherever Jesus went, he accepted people, but he said, I want you to to, to throw away the old life and take up a new. He he said things like, you know, unless a kernel of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it can't produce. That old way of life has to die. Now, the other extreme is a church that has become legalistic. They got a list of rules and the right things and wrong things you've got to do. And and these people think that they can do it. And John would say, no, no, you're missing it. You still need God's love and you need... There are some things you shouldn't do, but please let his spirit, let the spirit of God guide you, not man-made rules. And he said, you guys have got to stop focusing so much on, on the what Jesus did and what Jesus said. You need to know who Jesus was. Let me tell you, he loved me. He wanted me to be a part of what he was doing. He wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to live your life under the grace, under the awareness that you are beloved by him and serve with him. And that's the perspective John writes. When John writes, he he makes this whole series of statements out of Jesus' mouth, he says, this is what Jesus said. See, John's perspective, when John talks about Jesus, it's so personal. He gives you these one-on-one interactions. He tells you the story. He gives you the tidbit that the others don't, that when when, when, they, when they were at the Last Supper and Jesus goes to wash their feet, that Peter <laughs> argued with Jesus. He said, oh no, Jesus, don't wash my feet. Then he says, oh Jesus, wash all of me. How could John know that? because John was right there next to him, he was listening in like a little brother, tattle-telling on you for staying out too late. Jesus was on the, in, I mean, John was on the inside scoop with Jesus. Now in your notes, look at this, because this is really important. He's the one that says to you and I, that Jesus said, I am the bread of life in John six thirty-five. Jesus is the one that said, I am the light of the world in John eight twelve. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life in John eleven twenty five, 25. In John's gospel, Jesus said, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine. Why does John keep saying this? I am, I am, I am. Because he wants you and I to know that Jesus is the I am. That Jesus is the I am of the burning bush. That Jesus is the I am and he will be for you. Believe in him, believe in him. John, he's at Ephesus, he's older, he's probably around 80. He's been hearing this about the church and he begins to write, but he's not not void of the context of the world around him. He realizes that he lives in a world that certain language is important. And he realizes that people wanna know, okay, well, If if God was born in a manger and you guys call him Jesus, would you mind telling me what his name was before he was Jesus? And John answers the most important question about Jesus ever. He says, let me tell you what Jesus' name was before he was born in a manger to my auntie Mary. That's so wild. He says his name was Logos. His name was the Word. Listen to what he says. This is John chapter 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Why did John choose these words? 600 years before John arrived in Ephesus, there was a philosopher in the beginning of science, the first scientist, so to speak. His name was Heraclitus of Ephesus. Now, Heraclitus had this idea, and his idea was... If we could study the world around us, if we could just figure it out, if we could get the right word to go around it, then we could study it more fully. And he said, the reason we need to know this word is because the word behind the study is the reason why. And so he took the word logos, the word logos, and he said, logos means the reason why. And he said, if we can find out the reason why behind life... Then we can study life and understand it, and so he he was the first one to create the word biology. Bios means life, and logos biology. This scientist is the one to create the first idea behind meteorology, geology, psychology, sociology, etc., etc., etc. So when John writes to you and I, he says, "Listen, Heraclitus has got it." But let me tell you what the real story is. It's Jesus. He is the Word. Now, 5,000 miles from Hieraclitus and several centuries later is a similar philosopher in Alexandria. Alexandria is on the, the Mediterranean coast on North Africa, what you and I would call Egypt today. And there's a huge library there. It's a place of study. It's a place of learning. And Philo says this. He says, we have to understand life better and and the word logos is the key to it. And we've been calling word logos. We've been calling that it. And we need to change the pronoun. It needs to be he. And so Philo changes the way we relate, changed the whole way the world. These two guys begin to change the whole way we relate to this idea of logos. And John takes that in the same way, in the same way that... Solomon, in, 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 in the book of Proverbs, where he talks about wisdom being a woman, and he says she. Solomon always used, the word of God always used wisdom from the perspective of a her. The ladies would agree, that's a good idea. What Heraclitus and Philo and John bring together is this. Jesus is the answer to life. Jesus is the word he explains everything about life. And if you'll come to Jesus and get to know him, if you'll get to know Jesus, you'll, you'll understand everything there is to understand about eternity, everything you need to know about life, everything about the divinity of God, everything you need to know about humanity and being a person. I wrote it this way. Since Jesus is the eternal word, he can give us everlasting life. Because he was a real person, he can have a personal relationship with God. His deity gives him authority to forgive sins, and as a human, he can make atonement for our sins. What John said is this. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he said that Jesus, that he, John, wanted us to know about Jesus is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and by believing, you may have life and life eternal. If John was here today... And I believe he is through his testimony and his word. He would say to you and I, believe. He would say, believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's the only answer. Jesus would say that to, I mean, John would say that to us about Jesus because he knew him the best. He said, I've watched him all my life, I've watched him the only detail that's important, the only thing is for you to know, he is, he is, he is the great I am. He is what he says he was. You can rely on it. When John writes to the church in First John, he says, let me, let me tell you how to be. He says, what do you need to be? And he says this, he says, be satisfied, be sinless, be safe, and be sure. In in John's letters, he says, just, you can be satisfied. He says, if you know Jesus and you can recognize him and just be satisfied with knowing him and no longer be grabbing at the things of this world, no longer striving and, and doing all that, if you can just be satisfied that God loves you and that you are valuable, that's the key. And then he said, he said be, be sinless. He says, have nothing to do with sin. Have nothing to do with that former way of life. He says, just let that go. Those old temptations, the only way you can overcome them is by Jesus. Wherever Jesus went, he invited people to be free of their sin, not through their own effort, but by, by, by coupling with him, by knowing him and believing him and saying, God, you got to help me with this. I, I need a new life. In the same way that those lepers came to Jesus to be clean, you and I come to Jesus to be clean. Can't do it on our own. And he said, you can be safe. You don't have to worry about the tempter. You don't have to worry about the devil and his schemes. You don't have to worry about being deceived. He said, if you will just believe in Jesus and just be satisfied with him, be, believe with all your heart and know that he's the one that's going to make you sinless, he's also the one that's going to keep you safe. And then finally, be sure. Be sure of whom you've believed in. Be sure that if you've put your trust in Jesus, it's good for all eternity. It's interesting because this verse that he uses here in in 1 John 5, he he says for you and I to believe, but he uses a special Greek tense. Greek has the ability that English doesn't. It has the present perfect, and the present perfect, what it does is it, it says something starts here in time, but there's some sort of energy, there's this force that keeps going in that, and it goes on to forever and ever and ever. And so he says, if you've believed in Jesus and you you've started that in your life, just know this, just just know this. He will continue that in your life if you allow him. Just continue to believe in that, and that that energy, that force that comes from God will continue, and you do not have to worry about what happens missed part of the show today and want to hear more? Well, you are invited to download and subscribe to Your Next Step on all major podcasting platforms. What I love about prayer is this, that you and I touch eternity, that we step into the throne room of God. We go to heaven, so to speak, in the sense that our voice reaches heaven, but it impacts earth. That's amazing. So let's do that right now. Let's pray for our leaders in politics and the leaders of our schools and school boards. Father in heaven, we come before you because we know you ask us to pray. In Timothy, it tells us that we're to pray for our leaders and those that are in a position of authority. And so today we want to pray for our politicians for our schools, because these people have authority over our children, they have authority over our community, they have authority all the way up to the federal level here, and, and God, there, there are men and women that are meeting throughout the earth as leaders, and so we come before you, and this is our prayer, we agree with Paul and Timothy, we are praying that they would lead in such a way that there would be peace, and that the gospel of Jesus would go out. God, we know that there's been turmoil over the schools lately, and there's been been turmoil over many political leaders trying to impose their authority over us. God, it's our prayer that in our schools and in our leadership politically, that you would have the supreme authority, that it wouldn't be about political power or, or that. It would be about what brings about peace and wholeness and life for our community, for our children. God, we're praying that in our schools that the children would, would learn things that would help them be healthy. May they not be tossed and turned with games that would confuse them. May they have clarity about their identity, who you created them to be. We pray that your Holy Spirit would go throughout the earth the leadership established in every nation, including ours, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I know I know that that prayer was good and that you were a part of that, but I want to take you to the next step because that's what we're all about here, right? So, would you go to yournextstepnow.com? That's our website, and give us your email address, and we're going to give you our ebook. It's a prayer guide. This month, it's free. Know that it's free. It's not going to cost you. You just have to give me your email address, and then you and I can become prayer partners for the ministry. I need you to pray with me and agree with me. Our world needs revival. We need you to become a prayer partner. This community needs you. So go to yournextstepnow.com, give us your email address, and get your free prayer guide ebook today. This has been Your Next Step a ministry of The Church Next Door in Columbus, Ohio. We hope this has been an encouragement to you as you seek to have a deeper faith in Christ. If you'd like to hear today's show again or share it with a friend, look for Your Next Step on all major podcasting platforms. We'd love to see you soon at The Church Next Door. Easily find our service times and our app. I'm Pastor Doyle Jackson. Join us again next time for Your Next Step.
1: I believe you're going to find people that have a genuine love for God and a genuine zeal for the truth.
0: You don't have to dress super fancy. It's so lively and it's so much fun and just you leave like, oh, so refreshed. And I know I keep saying family, but that's what this place is for me. It's family. I'm Doyle Jackson, pastor of the church next door. People keep telling me how good it is to worship God together again. Well. Come join us. Visit us online at thechurchnextdoor.org.
1: Stories are a way we relate to one another. It's hard to underestimate their importance. Wessler Media is here to help you preserve those stories that you hold dear. We'll produce a personal podcast, an audio scrapbook, that will preserve those memories for generations to come. Get in touch today. Call toll-free or text one 38 story one 38 story Or visit wesslermedia.com. That's W-E-S-S-L-E-R, media.com. The production you just heard was carefully crafted at the studios of Wessler Media. For more powerfully engaging podcasts and other audio content, visit WesslerMedia.com. Stories of overcoming adversity, intense and unexpected twists and turns, education, encouragement, and plenty of those, did you hear that, moments. Hear more and talk to us about creating your own podcast from large and detailed projects to smaller, more personal-sized productions. That's wesslermedia.com. W-E-S-S-L-E-R-media.com.